What does it mean when we say God loves you? That's hard to understand, isn't it? We're going to read the Song of Solomon as we continue today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is a piece of scripture that's kind of like a playwright. It's very, very interesting. Some are uncomfortable, some are not, but this is a very good thing to look at in the scripture. Corey is here. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at some of the symbolism that we find in today's reading. Ryan? Who is Solomon's bride in the Song of Solomon? Is there any woman in history that fits the bill? Well, my segment today presents one possible candidate. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. Uh, because any, anyway, I don't want to get into it, but that's good. Uh, Janice? My segment's called Get Ready. All right, get ready. We're going to read the Bible, the world's best-selling book, but the Word of God. And as we do so, pay attention to what the Lord is speaking to us because He is talking today. Let's listen. Song of Solomon 4, verses 1 through 11. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have doves' eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like the flock of shorn sheep which have come up from the washing, every one of which bears twins, and none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built for an armory on which hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle which feed among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Sinir and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards." You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. Your lips, O my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. The Song of Solomon, chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. This is an amazing passage of Scripture, and we're really reading from a playwright, if you would, and this is God's signature of his creativity. Now, a signet seal was an ancient signature, a way to identify yourself in the ancient world. It was uniquely carved for each person. 
you would carry your seal wherever you went. It was a sign of not only your approval, but also of who you were. Solomon uses the signet seal as an analogy with loving his wife. That one's identity is placed on the other's heart. And that love is as strong as death. In fact, let me read you something. Solomon said, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes, are flashes of fire, and the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. You know, it reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8. He said, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Of course, that's Romans chapter 8. You see, love conquers the grave. Likewise, just as we, the church, are the bride of Christ, his seal is placed on our hearts. Amen. May it be so. His seal is placed on our hearts. His seal is part of what we do. And this becomes the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We respond as Jesus would respond. So again, let me ask you a question. Do you respond as Jesus would? I have to ask myself this question all the time. When I'm driving and I get cut off, <laughs> when somebody cuts in line, how would Jesus respond? And do I respond that way? Oh, Lord, help me. Very good. Well, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage because it's a great one. And I want to say that uh, if you don't have a Bible guide, why not? We'll send you one. Call us or write to us. We'd be happy to send you one. And uh, if you go to Bible Discovery TV, you can click on the page and it'll take you to a page where you can donate and thank you for your donations. And then it'll take you to a page where the PDF files are. And PDF files are, you download, it looks just like this, all of the things we do. Very exciting, you're seconds away. So we're going to talk about Solomon, Song of Solomon 4 verses 1 through 11, love and death. Father, help us today as we read this script of this playwright, which is anointed by your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand what you're saying to us and help us to get it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. One of the things I love about reading the Bible here and understanding is we get to cover every aspect of it. And I love that because we get a chance to go through it and see how God works. So Song of Solomon chapter four, verse one says, behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have Dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like the flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep, which have come up from the washing. Every one of you which bears twins, or every one of which bears twins, and none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. 
Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built for an armory, on which hang thousand bucklers and shields of mighty men. Wow, that's amazing. You see, we cannot truly see or understand the love of God or the love he has for us. There is no greater love than the love of God. We should give our life to him. Let me explain something. When somebody says the Lord loves you, that's words. And words might be interesting. And love is often defined by Hollywood and everything else. But let me tell you something. If you want to hear what real love is, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Read that one. That's real love. That's the more excellent way that Paul talks about. Love never fails. And God desires to love us because God never fails. Because God is love. He never fails. So when we invite Jesus Christ to come into our life, he expresses his love to us. Very important. We need to hear that today. Song of Solomon 4, verses 5 through 8. Your two breasts are like two fawns. Twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Armana, from the top of Sneer, and from the lion's den, and from the mountains of the leopards. You see, God has invited us to be with him forever. Now, this is important. All that we do in this life must be pitched towards eternity. And I've often said this. Do you know your eternal position? Do you know your eternal purpose? Because that's important. God invites us to be with him, but God invites us to know him. And to get our purpose established, that becomes really critical to know that. It's more than just this life, let me tell you. Let's go on to verse 9. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. Your lips, O oh my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. This is absolutely stunning. God is in love with the people of his creation. God is in love with people who've responded to him. We should respond to his loving call. I just, I, I need to tell you this on the cross. God is hanging on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you understand how much God loves us? What he gave for us. And we need to come to God. We need to love him. We don't need to serve ourselves all the time. We need to love the Lord. Father, I pray today that we would learn, learn how to love you. We've learned the wrong things about love. But help us to read 1 Corinthians 13 and know that your love is the greatest thing ever. Help us, Father, today 
And this is what I ask for all of us to know. What is your love? In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Today, to go along with today's reading, I thought it would be pretty fun and interesting to try and identify Solomon's Bride in Song of Solomon. Now, I just want to preface this by saying that no one really knows for sure who she was, but there are different ideas. And my segment today just represents one of those ideas. Now, that said, I do think that this theory is one of the most interesting because it connects this mystery, this mystery bride, to the Queen of Sheba, whose identity is also a mystery. And nobody really knows for sure who she she was either. But let's see if we can identify these two women. Soon after Solomon was appointed king of Israel, God blessed him with such great wisdom and prosperity that he became world-renowned. Even the famous but mysterious historical figure, known to us only as the Queen of Sheba or the Queen of the South, came to witness Solomon's greatness firsthand. While her name and the location of her kingdom isn't known, most biblical scholars believe Sheba was located in southwestern Arabia, which is modern-day Yemen. Interestingly, this conclusion flies in the face of the Jewish Roman historian Josephus, who claimed that this queen was the ruler of Egypt and Ethiopia. While most Christian scholars think Josephus was mistaken, there are a few who accept his record. Two such scholars are John Ashton and David Down. As a matter of fact, using a revised and shortened Egyptian chronology based upon the Bible and other historical and archaeological markers, they argue in their book, Unwrapping the Pharaohs, that the Queen of Sheba was none other than the famous female pharaoh, Hatshepsut. Several reasons bring them to this conclusion. First, Jesus refers to the Queen of Sheba as the Queen of the South in Matthew 12.42. And since the Bible often refers to Egypt as the land of the South, even referring to Egyptian kings as kings of the south, it is logically possible to identify the Queen of the South with the Queen of Egypt. They also point out that the key historical event in the lives of both queens is their expedition to a distant land. Just as the Queen of Sheba is known for her great expedition to Israel, so too is Hatshepsut known for her expedition to the land of Punt. While nobody really knows where Punt was, in her inscriptions she refers to it as God's land, saying that it was a beautiful land, a fitting reference to the land of Israel at that time. Egyptian inscriptions also apparently refer to Punt being in Israel. But one problem with this idea is that the flora and fauna depicted in Hatshepsut's expedition have been identified as coming from Africa, not Israel. However, it is possible that the flora that she brought back could have been imported by Solomon from Africa. Solomon was an avid gardener and zoologist and had imported trees and apes from Africa. Lastly, if the Queen of Sheba really was Hatshepsut, then there may have been another incentive for her to make the long trek. Hatshepsut had a sister named Neferbiti, 
But because nothing more is heard of Neferbiti, scholars assume that she died prematurely. But it is possible that she was the daughter of Pharaoh, whom Solomon married. She then may have been the bride in the song that was sung at Solomon's wedding. She describes herself as being dark but lovely, and Solomon addressed her as Mythili among Pharaoh's chariots. In that case, Hatshepsut would have been visiting her sister. So according to this idea, Solomon's bride in Song of Solomon could be Neferbiti, the sister of Hatshepsut, aka the Queen of Sheba. And again, let me just say that nobody really knows for sure who the Queen of Sheba or Solomon's bride in Song of Solomon really was, but I wanted to present to you this theory because it's not really well known about. And it could be right or it could be wrong, but it's good to be aware of it anyway. Thank you very much for that. You do a couple of things. On the website, you have Job in the Ice Age that you mm -hmm. have put in print form, and it's on there in a piece, and so you can either watch it or you can yeah. read through it. I there. release, uh, yeah, once every Friday, every second Friday. And all of these are on here along with Corey's segments and Matlock, he writes in there too. So the writing is just brilliant, it's excellent. At BibleDiscoveryTV.com, BibleDiscoveryTV.com, I encourage you to check it out. Corey. All right, well, you know, there's nothing quite like ancient love poetry to make you pause and really appreciate the difference in cultures between now and then. I mean, certainly romantic love is still a thing. Certainly we as humans appreciate other humans' beauty, but we definitely do not express it in the same way. And just a very quick reading of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon really highlights this for us. One of the symbols that is used by the lover and the loved uh, in this is the, the symbol of the pomegranate. So let's take a look at why the pomegranate would be used to express beauty. The Bible's portrayal of the Neo-Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar is an interesting one. From the perspective of the people living in Judah and Jerusalem, he was a fearsome and war-savvy enemy to whom the prophets of God said they must bow one way or the other. To the first wave of noble exiles that were trained in his courts, Nebuchadnezzar was their new king, and he's portrayed in ways that demonstrate his pride, anger, and eventually how he was humbled with a bout of what today would be labeled as mental illness. The Bible also mentions Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian building projects, specifically as a source of pride for this ancient king. In the history recorded outside of the Bible, we see a similar picture emerge with even more detail. Nebuchadnezzar II was the son of Nebuchadnezzar. With military might and strong alliances, these two men led Babylon to decisive military victories over the dominant Assyrian Empire. Eventually, they completely destabilized it, defeating its leaders and taking its place as the new world power of the ancient Near East. When Nebuchadnezzar took the throne, he solidified his power by crushing rebellions and taking his place as the shepherd of the city of Babylon. This meant that he launched huge building campaigns, funded, no doubt, by the spoils of his warfare. And the city of Babylon became a major project. Babylon's main deities were Marduk and Nebo. And one of Nebuchadnezzar's finest building achievements was the rebuilding and refurnishing of their temple structures. He restored the great ziggurat of Babylon that's often associated with the Tower of Babel, and he rebuilt the temple of Marduk. 
Nebuchadnezzar also fixed the canal of the Euphrates that passed through the city and a large processional bridge to facilitate the yearly festival and procession celebrating Marduk's victory and order. Nebuchadnezzar built the inner and outer walls of Babylon, his large palace, and various temples, shrines, idols, and public buildings. This is the background for his boast of being Babylon's creator recorded in Daniel 4. Also notable are the many inscriptions Nebuchadnezzar left behind. Many are dedication inscriptions that he always seems to have ended with prayer. His prayers are noteworthy for his purposeful, humble approach. A king who owes all of his success to Marduk and the gods, a worshiper who wants peace, protection, and to serve the god he's addressing. Interestingly, Nebuchadnezzar II founded what may rightly be called the world's first museum. In a wing of his palace, he displayed artifacts from captured nations, objects excavated from ancient civilizations, inscriptions, statues, and some of his own commissioned work. He opened this collection to be viewed by the public. It testified to all of his supposed worthiness to protect and rule mankind. So there we go, the pomegranate as, uh, you know, as a symbol not only of beauty, but also of abundance and fertility. And so in, in pop culture, it was associated with women, but in religious culture, it was also associated with God and with his blessing. So there's this idea of the female, uh, female image of God in terms of uh in terms of how God created mankind in the image of God, male and female, he created them. So interesting thoughts uh, as we continue to read through Sign of Songs. <laughs> it is very good. I, I, I love it. That's awesome. Okay. Corey or uh, Janice. Whoever I am. Whoever you are. Whoever I am. Well, my segment is called Get Ready. And uh, this chapter to me is a description, the beloved is our Lord Jesus Christ, and he is describing his bride, which is the church, it's Israel. And God sees us so differently than we may see ourselves. And we read this description, and sometimes it can feel a little bit uncomfortable. Corey and I were, we were sitting here just earlier talking about that. It, it kind of seems right. like you're, you're spying into someone's personal life, yes. you know? It is, and it, then it's hard <laughs> to, to relate to that love that God has yeah. for his church, for his bride. And, and so there's that crossover. Mm -hmm. And I got down to this verse, verse 11, your lips, oh my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. And you've talked before about fragrance and perfumes and mm -hmm. oils that were used in the ancient times and still today, right? There's, yep. It's a huge, big industry with with. Um, fragrances and, yep. and different things. We, we like to smell good. But that really brought me to a different place. I was thinking about the beloved. I was thinking about our salvation. And because we are coming up into the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, the good news of salvation is what Jesus took that scroll when he went to Nazareth and spoke in the synagogue and he read from that specific chapter of Isaiah and told those that were in attendance that this scripture was fulfilled in their hearing. Jesus was proclaiming that he was the one. So I want to just read this section because it talks about the garment of praise. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And in this way, in this description, back to Song of Solomon, and to see how this bride is described, and how, you know, before your wedding, there is so much preparation. All of us ladies know that there is so much preparation that goes into not only the bridesmaids, but the bride in in getting prepared for that, that very special day. So my attitude here, or my title here was, get ready. We as the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ need to be ready. We need to be without spot or wrinkle. We need the help of God to help us to do that. Jesus has proclaimed. He is the fulfillment of these scriptures, and, and he comes, and he gives us the oil of joy for mourning. He gives us beauty for ashes, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I think one of the things to remember is that going through all of this, we come to the place where tomorrow on the next program, we're going to begin Isaiah. And Isaiah is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I use the word fascinating a lot because I love that word because it's just very, very expressive of how I feel about it. But Isaiah is a prophet, a royal prophet. He's a prophet who is in who's by the kings and several kings he was prophesying through. And then as we begin to explore Isaiah, he begins to articulate what God said to him. And he experiences heaven. He experiences that in his spirit and all of that. And as we begin to read it, it's 66 chapters. So the Bible itself, I believe, has 66 books, but he's got 66 chapters. And it's really interesting because right around chapter 40, which are 39 chapters and then 27 chapters, but right around chapter 40, it switches over and you begin to see different things. Maybe that's just what I'm thinking, but I believe that we're gonna experience that tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to that. Do you remember this chorus? Put on the garment of praise for the spirit Spirit of of holiness. Lift up your, your voice, voice to God. Yeah, very Praise good. in the spirit and with understanding. Oh, magnify the Lord. Today, we need to pray and let's pray and and, and pray this way. Say, Lord, I give you my life and I give you my love. Teach me how to love correctly. Teach me how to love myself. Teach me how to love other people around me. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. And remember, our prayer meeting is on at 3.30 to 4.30, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Facebook, YouTube, and Bible Discovery TV. I'll see you there.